uh, it's important to do that. Yes, I think that's fine. We, we'll find out momentarily whether that works. Hello, everyone. It's uh, episode 190 of Rail Natter. Um, it's 30 years of privatization and what should happen next? Because uh, we have the, it's the 30th anniversary of this bit of legislation. Uh, this week, in fact, it received royal assent on the 5th of November 1993, which is in four days between now and the next episode. In 1993, uh, the Railways Act 1993, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm just clearing my throat so I can read the um, the shortened uh, description of the uh, Act. An Act to provide for the appointment of functions of a rail regulator and a director of passenger rail franchising of users' consultative committees for the railway industry and for certain ferry services to make new provision with respect to the provision of railway services and the persons by whom they are to be provided or who are secure secure their provision to make provision for and in connection with the grant and acquisition of rights over and the disposal of or other transfer investing of any property rights or liabilities by means of which railway services are or are to be provided to amend the function of the British Railways Board to make provision with respect to the safety of railways and the protection of railway employees and members of the public from personal injury and other risks arising from the destruction of operation of railways to make further provision with respect to transport police to make provision with respect to certain railway pension schemes to make provision for and in connection with the payment of grants and subsidies in connection with railways and in connection with the provision of facilities for Great haulage by inland waterway to make provision in relation to, relation to tramways and other guided transport systems and for connected purposes. There are. The Railways Act 1993. Yeah, and what a dreadful piece of legislation it was. Welcome to tonight's Rail Matter, everyone. <laughs> As the Intercity 225 fades away, oh, we will start with a bit of news. I'm going to keep it brief. Uh, we're starting with a, a, a jarring shifted tone um, to start with uh, the fact there's been another horrendous crash. Uh, that was a content warning, by the way, uh, for audio-only content warning. Another horrendous crash um, for uh, in India, Andhra Pradesh. Uh, there's been a, a, a crash killing 13 and injuring dozens of pretty horrific crash again um a collision of two two passenger trains it's it does feel like there's an increasing frequency at the moment uh, you know there's there's a lot of capital p politics going on in india right now and not all of it by which i mean very little of it good um there, there's there's a piece the 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 um the bbc's uh, india correspondent wrote an interesting long read way back in june this year and um yeah, talking about the the fact that this was after the, the the big crash early in the year that that, that killed you know hundreds of people. I talked about the fact there's an increasing frequency in these sorts of incidents, derailments and collisions. I, I, it'd be interesting to get. Firstly, it'd be interesting to get someone from you know a, a, an Indian railway nerd in to talk about it and, and understand what the what the kind of context is. So do make suggestions, or if you're interested yourself watching, then do come and join um, uh, for a future episode because uh, I want to dig into it. India obviously has one of the busiest, you know, just, uh, it carries just slightly fewer people than the Japanese railway system does in terms of total numbers. Um, but it's a huge number of people who use the railway. It's a very, very big 
and pretty broadly modern railway system. You know, it's very easy, as the Well Is Your Problem podcast folk make out, it's very easy to sort of, be, you know, other places like India be like, well, it's, you know, it's India. That's what big crashes and, you know, large numbers of people being involved. That's just what happens in a country like India. So, no, no, no. India is, a, is an advanced economy. The railway is an advanced railway. It's a very advanced railway system. Um, there are, it has its problems, but it is, you know, it, they're they're electrifying or in the process of getting towards finishing an enormous amount of electrification. Their signaling systems are being upgraded. This is a modern railway system with all the modern system, railway protections that, that you know that we have um, in, in the, uh, here in GB. So for these incidents to happen is is pretty shocking and it should not be happening. So it'd be interesting to get to have a deep dive into what's what's been going on there. Um, right. Um, so let's talk about the UK. Let's talk about Rishi Sunak. Um, and uh, and the fact that uh, our prime minister is, is just flat out corrupt. So we're going to start with the fact that the PM has been making a big fuss about um, a really distasteful changing of the number ten on the on the ten Downing Street into the X logo, which is just messed up anyway. But um, yeah. So do we really want him having more conversations behind closed doors with white supremacists in the form of Elon Musk? I mean, no, obviously not. But. It's probably fairly innocuous compared to some of the other behind closed doors conversations he's been having. For example, uh, Russell Scott here doing a freedom of information uh, request into number ten having meeting and having a discussion with the um, CEO and UK head of country of BP behind closed doors. No understanding of what's happening um, for us. Uh, it's considered balance of public interest against. This being published, you know, the, the the findings of this meeting being published. Now, this, and I'll let you read what's in the letter there. You know, government has to be able to have the freedom to do this to promote a stable macroeconomic framework to foster economic growth and prosperity. No, but this government is incapable of doing that. So don't lie. Um, this is just backroom dealing. And uh, what might have been going on? Oh well, two things. Firstly, when I'd say the prime minister is flat out personally corrupt. Um, it's worth just pointing out that two months before Rishi Sunak opened hundreds of new licenses for oil and gas, this is a national that pointed this out um, up in Scotland, um, extraction in the North Sea, um, his father-in-law's, Infosys, his father-in-law's um, kind of tech IT company um, that his wife holds humongous shares in, you know, millions and millions of pounds worth of shares in, um, signed a $1.5 billion deal with BP. Um, so that's, you know, I'm sure that's unconnected. Hmm. No, maybe not. Um, and not only that, so not only do we have, you know, this, um, you know, this, this, this conversation is being had with BP, you know, BP be getting favored, you know, uh, you know, basically being favored for the, for this, the, 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 the fact that the Rosebank is being licensed at all, and then BP are being favored for it. But also, of course, the, the the fact that the lobbying that's happening in in watering down the windfall tax to these energy companies as well. So the the whole situation is, um, you know, th th we have a corrupt prime minister. This, this, this is corruption, folks. You know, uh, just just to point out, um, it, it, the UK is a corrupt company. This is a uh, country. This is corruption. This is not. This is not just like we, we we're not uniquely hidden away from corruption. This is just flat out corruption. Meanwhile, of course, uh, Ed Hawkins there creator of the Hawking Stripes, uh, pointing out the storm Kieran, uh, or is it Kieran? Uh, actually, I think it, there is supposed to be a, a, a dash over the A, making it a long latter A, so Kieran rather than Kieran, or Kieran uh, rather, than, rather than how we all say Kieran, I think. Anyway, 
Uh, correct me in the chat if, uh, if there's a particular pronunciation of this Kieran as opposed to how we all normally pronounce Kieran. Anyway, uh, this is going to be an epic storm. I mean, okay, you never know that these things can peter out, but um, the expectation is that this is going to be a pretty impressive storm. Our, our, our predicting accuracy is more accurate than, than in past times. The last time we had... Uh, there are only two other similar events in in, in recorded history, 1989 and 1821. Um, and because we have a much warmer atmosphere uh, and it's more humid, it's going to bring a lot more rain. So this is going to be a pretty unpleasant and epic storm. Uh, and you can see where the, these red marks, it's going to be really blowing, you know, 100, 100 mile an hour plus winds through the English Channel. Um and it's going to be very windy uh, where I am here in York, uh, crikey, and windy in quite a few other places as well, particularly off in the Atlantic. But anyway, yeah, the, the extremes of wind are out in the in the English Channel. Um, the Channel Isles are going to get a battering. Anyway, we're going to get through this quickly, Fox. Don't worry. Um, so, government U-turns on rail ticket office closure plans. Yeah, that's right. The ticket office closures have been U-turned, and this is this is some good news. We should be pleased about this. This is a rare. You know, this is a Rail Railways Act 1993 win, in fact, because the provisions of that act and subsequent acts made it such that government could not just unilaterally close ticket offices in the way that they have been unilaterally reducing railway services. So it's an interesting situation where the Railways Act 1993, a dreadful document actually sort of saved our asses a bit because we you know direct action rmt particularly pushing for us to to, to get involved Seven hundred fifty thousand, nearly a million people actually submitting responses to the consultation um really spectacular bit of direct democracy um you know this is this is good stuff and it's a government u-turn of course uh simon calder not being around the bush here fair play to simon uh just calling it a u-turn other Others said, oh, train companies withdraw plans. Like, no, 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 you fools. This is a government U-turn. <laughs> Simon uh, not called and not falling for it. Oh, hi, Simon. Great work, by the way. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, Taj Ali here um, of the Tribune uh, interviewing Mick Lynch and um, pointing out that it really is a, it's a resounding victory. It's yet another victory for the RMT, by the way. Um, and uh, absolutely for community groups, for disability campaigners, rail workers... Yeah, it's the biggest response to any consultation in history in terms of the, the the raw numbers of people getting involved. We should feel happy about this. This is this is this is good news. Um, it's good news for now, of course. Government will just have to find another way to cut back because they want to cut and and cut and cut. But for now, let's take the win. Um, meanwhile, related to strikes and direct action, um, for those people who think that driverless trains mean that you get rid of the ability of uh, strike action to limit services. I'll just point out that the deal as here's Ian visits, by the way, shout out to Ian visits. Um, there will be a strike on the Docklands Night Light Railway this week, um, uh, or next week, in fact, Tuesday the 7th, Wednesday the 8th of, of November. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, no Docklands Light Railway because there is a strike on a driverless train system. Oh, funny that. Um, uh, related news to in, staying within TFL um, this news mind the gap new Piccadilly line trains will mean platform shaving sparks new safety fears this isn't quite as bad as it sounds it's frustrating but it's not quite as bad as it sounds essentially the, the, the problems with accessibility are while both fleets are running simultaneously what's happened is they will be adjusting the, the platform positions to match the new stock they can't do that overnight so for a while so because the new stock um, is longer um so for a while there will be a bigger gap to the existing stock as well 
The only problem with this is that the new stock does not have gap fillers. So if it has, if the vehicles are longer, the, the bodies are longer, then it, it will mean that the um, the doors are potentially a bit further away from the uh, you know the doors are a bit further away from the from the platform overall. I'm not exactly sure. I don't know whether whether they've positioned the doors closer to the the Jacobs book. Is, is it articulated? Are these ones articulated? I can't quite remember. No, they can't be. If they're in any case, I think they might have positioned the doors closer to the bogey to ensure that they're reasonably close to the platform. In any, I, I don't know. I haven't seen the actual gauge clearance information for these, but this isn't quite as bad as it sounds. But it is frustrating that we have this 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 less quality, you know, this this reduced um, safety condition when you know the London Underground is already pretty bad from a platform train interface perspective. Right, jumping back to um, our government. Uh, here's a classic abysmal cost of short-termism story. Um, Councils of England paying nearly £2 billion a year to house people in temporary homes because uh, you know this that, that is enough money for them to build about 100,000 new homes over five years. Um, and they could just build those homes instead of putting people up in bed and breakfasts and other temporary homes and, and, and hotels. It's just absolutely classic example of the government unwilling to invest, will not let councils invest, doesn't give councils the power to invest, so councils have to burn through their very limited revenue that they already have had chopped by 50% or more in some cases. Um, so, uh, yeah, not 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 a good situation and paul kissack here is a former treasury official uh, tweeting which was interesting as a treasury official years ago i was trained to be skeptical about spend now save later proposals no no sherlock um uh, yeah sometimes rightly he says mm. but as a country we've been far too open to save now spend more later policies yeah that's this is the this tweet is the euphemism of the century i think um good grief uh, anyway, that's that. That's a story that's going to continue being painful. Uh, and if we're staying with the UK government being just horrendous and sucking the good out of everything, um, let's just say that this this story is is a frustrating one. So the government says uh, four day working weeks should cease immediately. This is pure ideology at play because a, a few councils have been pursuing a four day working week. It has, um, uh, yeah, frustratingly, they've not put the they've not put the um, uh, the invert commas in the right place here. The, the invert commas should, in fact, be. They should be. Where's my whacking? Whacking. Need my whacking. Wait a minute. There you are. I've plugged in the whacking. I'm always unplugging and plugging in the whacking on on camera here. This this should be uh, are not providing value. Uh, just not providing value. Uh, get rid of these ones um, because uh, they are providing value. Councils are saying that they're saving money. They're increasing staff retention. They're increasing staff welfare and happiness. Four-day working weeks should be rolled out across the country for all jobs with salaries retained as they are. People are more productive. They do more in the week if they only have four days in the week to do it and they have three days to rest. This is an absolute classic example of government just ideologically getting involved um, where actually councils are doing the right thing. They're trialing this and the trials are being a resounding success. They've been resoundingly successful. Go and have a read of this article and you can have a read of what some of the councils I don't know what power government actually has to do anything about this. Hopefully none. But um, yeah, the uh, four-day working week, it's a policy I'm vigorously in favour of because think how much stuff you never have time to do in the weekend. You have like you have one day to just like rest and catch up 
Sunday, everything's closed, so you can't do anything anyway, and you kind of have to get yourself ready for the working week. When do you actually do stuff and, and, and enjoy yourself? No, no, none of the days. Four-day working week, all for it. Um, right, uh, very quickly. Good grief, we're already a quarter of an hour in. Uh, has Andy, Andy Burnham been told... This is, this is uh, Chris, uh, Chris at Rail Focus saying, uh, has Andy Burnham um, been told by Labour to tone it down regarding HS2? I find it strange that he's peddling Tory nonsense about freed-up money. It is frustrating he's been saying that because that money doesn't exist. He knows full well. And as, as Chris says, uh, he knows full well the Tories have no interest in providing £12 billion for a new line between Liverpool and Manchester. Yeah, absolutely. That, that money is just is made up. Um, Stevie and Selby saying... Um, Surely the inverted commas should be around government in the previous slide. Yeah, quite possibly. Anyway, this is part of possibly part of Labour creating space to abandon HS2. I, I strongly believe they've just they're just creating themselves the space to just drop it as, as a thing they don't have to do, which is very frustrating because you know the extent to which this is a critical piece of of national infrastructure cannot be overstated. Um, yeah, I think that's the that's that's the shtick here. Um, Andy is a very clever politician. He will be doing his best to navigate his way through to try and pick up what he can for Manchester. But uh, yeah, it's frustrating to see Labour people repeating the freed up money bullshit. Um, meanwhile, Europe is just laughing at us and how in, how inept we are as a country, which is nice, isn't it? And as they should laugh, um, here's Maria Ramirez, um, uh, sorry, Maria Ramirez uh, saying um, Spain's high-speed trains aren't just efficient, they have transformed people's lives. A fiasco like HS2 could never happen here. Our fast train network is so popular that no Spanish government would dare give up on it. Yes. Anyway, enough of the news. Let's talk about John Stone's tweet thread about water privatisation and also get my miniaturised face up in the corner. Hello, everyone. Hello. Um... Yeah, John Stone did a good little thread uh, and pointed out a nice link to some letters in, in the Margaret Thatcher letter collection. Um, a letter from the Number 10 Policy Unit, a bunch of weirdos, by the way, uh, arguing why water should be privatised. It's really illuminating because uh, all of the arguments are terrible and we can go through them. And indeed, you should go through them. Uh, I'm going to uh, have John's thread in front of me so that we can... We have the letter here. Here's the letter. Uh, so we can actually go through it um, because this is relevant to what we're going to be talking about tonight. This context is, is, is very important. So what we're looking at here are the arguments. Uh, water... So we're going from here. Water is a good candidate for privatisation because... This is the first uh, argument, um, is uh, many, though not all, of the water authorities are already in good shape for private ownership and do not need a long period of elaborate restructuring. So as John points out, basically this is saying they'd be profitable in quick privatizations. So this, this, this offers no, this is the number one point, and it offers absolutely no actual benefit to consumers, which is a decent summary of privatization overall. This is, this is, this is point number one. So this is point number one, and it is, has absolutely no bearing on quality. Um, yeah, really rubbish. So point number two. Here we go. Number two here. Uh, number two. What is number two? The water authorities between them own substantial assets and employ more than 50,000 people, so they will make a big contribution to the privatization program. Oh, oh yeah, look, it's another ideological target situation. As John points out, specifically, it's an ideological target. Government had set itself to basically reduce headcount of government. So that's 50,000 people reduced, taken out of the state um, and dumped into the private sector. So again, ideological. We still haven't we still haven't talked about anything about the quality of the asset here. So point three here, uh, a bit more, a bit more meaty here. Uh, what's this saying here? So, um, 
water authorities would be able to invest more. So we've got the water authorities say they need to invest in renewing their assets faster than treasury constraints permit. Uh, well, no. Who says? Do they actually say that? Uh, no. That's because treasury has its own constraints. That's, again, a political point. And privatization would free them from those constraints and allow them to borrow from the private market for future investment, yielding more spending on Britain's now fashionable infrastructure. Very common. That's a new word back then. Uh, without any adverse effects on the uh, basically the the balance, you know, the the, the public spending. Uh, what's the PSBR public spend? Uh, basically, the balance of the you know the, the debt to GDP ratio is essentially what that's saying. PSBR is what's now talked about as the debt to GDP ratio. Um, the trouble with this is that it didn't happen. It didn't happen at all. Uh, in fact, the companies chase profits and actually less money was spent you know we hopped to the, the ft from a year or two ago and um since the 1990s spending on new infrastructure has has fallen by up to a fifth so spending less not more hmm uh yes and you're absolutely right rafael nicolas uh this number three is just an argument to abolish the treasury uh and and shift investment away from you know investment determinations away from the treasury number four let's have a look at number four number four we would not be selling off a national monopoly like BT because the performance of each of the 10 water authorities can be measured against that of the others, introducing an element of competition at the margin not unlike that of the four regional groupings of railway companies before nationalisation. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Much to unpick here. For example, um, consumers cannot choose between them. They can't switch between them. Why would you think that there would be any competition between them we have not seen competition between franchised operators public sector borrowing requirement thank you gareth uh that's psbr public sector borrowing requirement and they do still use that actually as a termination but basically means debt to gdp ratio um taking off the books uh, as it were so that that number four is 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 just is the made up competition one we've all seen this before this is all relevant for the way keep all this this has to be kept fresh in your mind what's number five number five here the, the last one here is um, the general advantages of oh, excuse me, sorry. The general advantages of privatization. Um, uh, okay, what what are those? Such as wider share ownership by the public and employees. Mm. Why is that an advantage? Okay, removal of state interference. Again, that's an ideological point. The state interferes more, arguably, in a privatized system because you have to regulate it more. And realization of assets. What? Are just creating something to sell to people what um apply with full force right um okay so the the, the one sort of substantial point all the, the other the others are just nonsense the the wider share ownership thing um by the public and employees uh, as john points out the share ownership rose after privatizations it did yes and then it fell right off again because larger investors bought up the shares and sort of created large share monopolies. So yeah, and most water firms are not even listed on the stock market anymore. Oh, whoops. So that's not really real. Um, uh, so, so Gareth is saying that the PSBR is not quite the uh, the debt to GDP ratio. It is, it is, it is basically. Um, that's yeah. That's that's kind of that is the, the that ultimately that is the debt to GDP ratio kind of feeding into that treasury PSBR. You know, that means it's uh, the money that increases the debt 
you know, the, sorry, that increases the deficit, which then increases the debt, which is then increasing the debt to GDP ratio. Um, as Average DM says, the general argument is privatization is good because privatization is good. That's pretty much the long and short of it. What about this guy, who's the, um, the, the this guy representing the uh, the number ten policy unit, um, Viscount Christopher Monckton? He went on to be a senior figure in UKIP. He is a, uh, a was a, an ardent climate change denier. Worked for CPS think tank, and then was that was that was the thing he did. So it was a classic think tank to number ten policy unit um, pathway. Uh, so there we are. That, that's that's an important context um, because. Um, this is this is a pairing that we've seen. So we have a think tank, some right wing think tank. Uh, in this, let's 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 say, for example, the Adam Smith Institute, and then you have you know Treasury uh, here with with the the lion and the the unicorn here with with like a mankini on apparently this visible junk uh, there, which is quite quite something. Anyway, um, these two. So these two authored a document in in July nineteen ninety two. These two uh, groups together. Um, and that document was called New Opportunities for the Railways. The, tonight's Rail Matter is going to be a two-part, kind of a two-bits. It's going to be two halves. It's, a, it's an episode of two halves, as, as, as many are. The first half, we're going to flick through this document uh, and get angry at it, a bit like we just flicked through that letter. And the second half, we're going to then say, how do we unpick the mess? So we've had 30 years, thanks to this document, we've had 30 years of, of, of not a very well-structured uh, railway industry, to put it lightly. Um, what do we need to do to fix it? And we can kind of debate that. So we're going to fling through this document very quickly. We're not going to hang around. Um, let me do this and then also remind myself to do, uh, uh, to get me, let me switch my cursor on so you can all see my cursor. There, are. the cursor is now visible. So new opportunities with the railways, privatization of British Rail. You can all download this from the railways archive. Easy to find. Um, this is fun to start with because there's a foreword by John McGregor. Privatization is one of the great success stories of this government. What? It's funny to look back on that now, knowing how what the trajectory of every single privatized element of you know everything that's been privatized has become an absolute shambles. BT shambles. Um, you know, look at the mess it's made of broadband installation, for example. Um, all the things that we could have had and should have had and didn't, and it's taken. You know, our broadband rollout has been very slow in the UK. Uh, yes. Um, water companies. Currently, all of our rivers are literally full of shit. Like, that's that's, <laughs> that's perfect and that, like, perfect representation of how much of a disaster um, those water companies are. And where it's been um, nationalised, by the way, there isn't um, in the rivers. Everything's much better. Water is just paid as part of council tax, and uh, it, it works fine. Um, Scotland do that, and it's fine to the point where people don't even realize that water is a thing you have to pay for uh, because to be fair you don't it's part of your council tax um anyway it's obviously very funny to to think about privatization being considered a success i, I see no example there is no example that i can think of where privatization has been a success um also you don't get to say things have been a success when you've only just done them i think they're just saying that privatization is one of the success stories of the government because they did it I don't think they care about the outcomes. They just care about the fact that they did it. Anyway, common to all privatizations has been the harnessing of the management skills flare and entrepreneurial spirit of the private sector to provide better services for the public. Citation needed. Anyway, uh, the time has come to extend these benefits to the railways. Anyway, right. So let's toss the for forward out uh, over into the burning bonfire uh, and start looking at uh, proposals. 
The government is determined. Here's the introduction. The government is determined to see better use made of the railways, greater responsiveness to the customer, yikes, and a higher quality of service and better value for money for the public who travel by rail. The proposals in this white white paper meet these objectives. No, they don't. The railway. We've done this in a previous episode, right? And I'll reference that episode quite a few times in this episode. Um, The railways under BR were one of the most efficient by every measure in the world in terms of what they achieved for how little money was being spent by them. Um, Absolutely very impressive. And since then, that has only reversed. We have a very inefficient railway that spends a lot of money and achieves not nearly as not nearly enough. Um, quite an impressive um, uh, kind of reversal of what's actually being said there. The railways have substantial strengths. They have unrivaled city centre to city centre connections. Yeah, that's that's actually part of the problem, as we as we know, folks. They're particularly cost effective for long distance and heavy freight. They can be energy efficient. Uh, duh, okay, yeah, yeah. They often cause less environmental damage than road transport. What often? always anyway but the railways cannot play their full role unless they give passenger freight customers the services they expect i mean you could just improve the service then the key to success is a reliable efficient operation offering high quality services by the way it's really important that this language here that you're reading is the sort of stuff that wes streeting says about the nhs right now it's really important this talk discussion of isn't the the nhs has substantial strengths unrivaled xyz particularly cost-effective for this, this, this. Um, but the NHS cannot play its full role unless they give you know, customers <laughs> the services they expect. The key to success is reliable, efficient... Uh, da, da, da. The introduction of competition through greater involvement in the private sector and the ending of the NHS's monopoly in the operation services will be instrumental in achieving this. That's kind of what is being said here. Tim Davis, it's basically trust me, bro. Yeah, absolutely. Um <laughs> Yeah, uh, Pat Lee Nichols, I can't even get better than uh, ADSL because I'm the wrong side of a canal and a motorway and there aren't enough houses near where I live to justify the costs of building that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, anyway, right, so British Rail. Here's some discussion of British Rail um, talk, saying, British Rail has made significant improvements in recent years. Its efficiency compares well with that of other European railways. The productivity of the BR workforce is among the highest of any European railway. Intercity services and BR freight operate without direct subsidy. Then, why, what, why are you privatizing it then? Investment in the railways has greatly increased. Yeah, good. And by the way, folks, continued to increase after privatization. Uh, there's nothing to do with privatization. It's just the government realized that it had the the, the, power, the the desire of the public was for more railways, so they had to spend more money. Um, Regular users know that the performance of the railways is not good enough. Too frequently, this is fun. Too frequently and on too many lines, the quality of service fails to meet the travelling public's expectations. Has that changed? I would go with no. BR staff and management work hard to improve services. Goddamn, they do, and they still do. But they are limited by the structure of the industry in the public sector. You could just put a line through that and say limited by the structure of the industry in the private sector. Do you see what I'm talking about? This is this is ideology. There's nothing. There's there's no substantive consideration of the actual needs of the railway system here. This is ideology, plain and simple. The industry is more insulated from the demands of the market than its private sector airline, coach, and road haulage competitors. Now I wonder why that might be. Is it because you obfuscate the public 
subsidy and investment in those other sectors in a way that you don't with the railway? Is it that the railway is obviously and clearly directly funded, whereas those other things, the money is spent in clever and more complex ways that are not so obvious to the public? Hmm, I wonder. It therefore has fewer incentives to improve its performance and less freedom to respond to what the customer wants. The idea of the structure we have now being public customer, like being customer responsive, when the only major changes it's made have been government instigated ones. Quite remarkable. Uh, so the, it starts, let's jump to the last paragraph of that section. In other countries, the private sector is actively involved in the railways. Already 40% of Japan's railways are private, and it's the Japanese government's intention to privatize the remainder. Yeah. Google how that's gone, by the way, folks. Some interesting news stories about how well that's gone. Uh, the Swedish government enabled the private sector to operate certain railway services through a tendering system. Again, Google how that's gone. The privately owned American freight railways have been successful and profitable over the last 10 years. Yeah, notice that there is no discussion of the passenger railways in there, which are state-owned. <laughs> hmm. Anyway. Um, so here they are, they're, they're framing here. The government has paid particular attention to the following issues in the framing of its proposals. Safety, quality of service, essential passenger services, network benefits, um, opportunities for employees, and environmental benefits. Interesting, that's there. Um, services must not be disrupted by organizational change. The pace of change must take account of the need to keep services running efficiently. Fine. Options. Right, here we go. This is the fun bit. So, government has considered a number of options for future structure of the railway. It would not be practical to privatise BR as a single entity because its financial losses are too great. I mean, you could just not, then. Now, to be fair, they're, they're not wrong. Like, there'd be no point in doing that. People want it to be RPLC. And I have to argue, what, what, again, what would be the point in that? There would be no value. Object, similar objections apply to the sale of BR split into purely geographical units. For the foreseeable future, no regional company could be sold outright, as each would be entirely dependent on continuing a large subsidies from the taxpayer, as the the talks are now anyway br with the government's agreement has over the last 10 years reorganized the railways in business sectors based on different markets uh sectorization lots of people say sectorization was fantastic i mm, yes to an extent i don't think it was perfect i think it's, yes i think you know intercity and regional railways to an extent i think there are some problems um and yeah anyway you know particularly again as ever i talk about the lack of any suburban focused rail system you know only london had a dedicated you know suburban rail network um anyway right so lots of wibble and wobble uh flexible solutions will be needed to encourage private sector participation in the railways a structure requirement will promote the introduction of new operators while taking account of the continuing need for subsidy BR currently operates as a vertically integrated railway with track and train operations under its control. The government believes that track and train operations should be separated at an early stage and that a new track authority, rail track, there we are, should be established initially within BR with responsibility only for track and associated infrastructure. When BR's train operations are in the private sector, rail track will continue on its own as a separate organisation. This structure offers the greatest prospect for private sector involvement in operations and will enable BR to provide fair treatment between operators wanting to access the track and other infrastructure. The government recognises the challenge which this restructuring will pose for BR following the recent organisational changes introduced under the Organising for Quality initiative. It will work closely with BR management to ensure a smooth transition to the new structure. <laughs> hmm. So, yeah, there we are. Blah, blah, blah. Summary proposals. So, yeah. Government believes private sector should be given the fullest opportunity to manage and operate existing railway services receiving grants from necessary in return for meeting the required standards of service. 
in this parliament, the objective will therefore be to enable the private sector through franchising to manage and operate passenger services. Responsibility for negotiating, awarding and monitoring franchise will be given to a new franchising authority. Ooh. So anyway, there all this discussion. Benefits of private sector involvement liberalization. This is this is fun. So um, we kind of know what the structure was because we've talked about that. So here, what we got here are the, the benefits. So A, more concern for, cust for the customer's needs. Management and employees in the private sector have greater incentives to provide the services which the consumer wants, the profitability of their company, and at the end of the day, their jobs depend on providing a service which attracts custom, nationalized industries do not face such acute pressures. Bollocks. That's bollocks, um, everyone, as you know. Um, it just isn't true. That 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 distinction is, an ide is, is not one fixed in reality. It's an ideological one. The idea that somehow... You know, given that LNER is currently state operated, and I would say probably has on the higher customer satisfactions on the system, would suggest that that just is fiction. So, uh, B, competition and ending the monopoly. New operators will be allowed to provide services, um, giving customers a choice hmm, and stimulating improved services value. They're, okay, the only real mainline where there is actual choice is the East Coast mainline. And the only reason people get Lumo versus LNER is because it's cheaper. That is competition. I would not say that that is improved service quality on either LNER or Lumo. That competition, supposedly in places like Italy, has driven up quality, has driven down ticket, uh, driven down fares. There has been no such response on in the UK because our network is that much more full. We have that much less space on paths, and fares are that much higher as a percentage of income. So, so that one doesn't work. Management freedom. Railway management should be free to get on with its main task of running services to the satisfaction of passengers and customers. I mean, that's true anyway. The government's proposals will provide for greater participation by the private sector in rail operation. How is that relevant to the previous one? Management freedom has nothing to do with private and public. Um, with less scope and justification for government involvement in managerial issues. That's a problem we have now more than ever before. Government is meddling more than ever before in the in the railway. This is the main problem. Clear and enforceable quality standards. You know, okay, fine. Uh, that, again, could be done more easily with the state, whatever. E, motivation. Franchising passenger services to reflect regional and local identities will help boost the pride that all employees take in providing high-quality service to the traveling public. You could argue that was true for Virgin, but I would not say that anyone wearing a first logo felt passion for the company they worked for. If they did, they need a head check in a bit. Um, efficiency. Smaller operating companies will bring more localised management close to the public and greater opportunities to cut out waste and re otherwise reduce costs without sacrificing quality. I love this. Cut out waste. Given the layers of management required, the people employed to keep the train operating companies functioning. Remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. Anyway, so... We're going to have... We don't need to go through all the detail. I think we've kind of got, got the general feel of it enough, really. This this goes into some of the actual nuts and bolts of it. Again, talking about successes and, and how much each city has been a success. European passenger services. Um, yeah, the Channel Tunnel and, and so on. Uh, Network Southeast, Southeast Regional. Uh, local authorities, you know, they're, they're talking about the local authority systems. Again... Yeah, messy. Private sector, this, this is funny. The private sector, the government believes that the private sector will respond to the opportunities to enter the market for providing rail services they've taken on contracted out services elsewhere in the public sector. In addition to private sector, this is funny because 
the number of companies interested in bidding for franchises in the UK right now is so small. There is so little co- corporate interest in running uh, railway, you know, train operating companies in the UK right now. So little. Um, investment infrastructure. Hmm. Um, in the 1990s, we'll see a number of new railway pro- major new railway projects. Planning is in hand on projects to build new lines, such as the East-West Crossrail link between Liverpool Street and Paddington. Lol. Construction of the Channel Tunnel. I mean, that did happen. Um, although it, I wouldn't say it opened up new travel opportunities beyond Eurostar, sadly. Anyway, um, the investment will be largely financed from charges to operators, including supporters. No, they won't. They'll be government. They'll be largely from government because very rapidly it was largely from government. Railtrack will normally have the lead responsibility for promoting major investment, including electrification. Look, they're mentioning electrification. My God, incredible. This is hot off the tail of um, East Coast electrification, and it was a visible success at that point. It felt felt like a success. Um, killed off by privatization, incidentally. Um, anyway, right, fine. Freight, fine. Parcels completely killed off. Parcels didn't disappear, but the railway's ability to move them was completely killed off by privatization. Great success. Freedom of access. Okay. Yeah, whatever. Uh, maintenance depot stations, regulation, all this stuff, about, all this stuff about regulated closure procedures. Here we are. This is the bit that saved, saved our asses um, on ticket offices. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. Uh, environment to find safety and all this stuff about managing safety, employee network benefits. Hmm. The government believes that BR's management and employees will benefit from working in an environment in which it will be possible to raise standards of service and establish greater management freedom within appropriate financial and quality disciplines. None of that is public, requires public or private, like particularly. Uh, the government will encourage employees to take a direct stake in the future of the franchised or privatized businesses in which they were at work. This is the Milton Friedman view of like market liberalization and, and, and extreme kind of everyone becomes a shareholder. We all become shareholders. All of us become shareholders in the companies we work for, all this crazy stuff. Um, the trade unions in the industry, like this isn't about cooperative ownership, by the way. You know, the intention is that you become small. And of course, there are no, are there any, comp- you know, that's, they're all big companies. Major, anyway, in, in most cases, they're European rail operators who run our services. Anyway, ugh, uh, the trade unions, one of the great winners of privatization was the, were the trade unions, rightly so, because the system actually, the, 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 this, this, was all hap- this all happened with the intention of splitting the unions up. That didn't happen. The unions stayed big, big, strong, powerful units, um, which greatly disappointed government at the time. Uh, ticketing, technical standard, okay, ticketing is, doesn't really, hasn't really changed. In fact, ticketing has basically been frozen since this paper was written, which is hilarious. Technical standards and research. Uh, so the standards stay, you know, initially within BR. Um, similarly, BR will remain responsible for tracking infrastructure-related research for the railway industry in cooperation with train service operators as appropriate. The government is considering how best to involve the private sector in railway research. Railway research also basically died at this point. It ended. Uh, BTP, no change. The way forwards. So this is describing, this is kind of coming into our second half. So this is the government saying what happens next. Before the end of this parliament, the government intends to sell all this stuff um, just to make it all happen, to kill it all off. Remarkable. Um, Now, with that in mind, and that having gone through the document, uh, we know what happened next, don't we, folks? Uh, Everything went to hell over the next 30 years up until now uh, we went through it all in episode 148 every 
asterisk way that the Railways Act 1993 has resulted in today's mess. Yes, we went through all of that. So we went through the ways in which BR... Okay, this is a slight uh, exaggeration because actually there were already bits sort of privatised off of BR, but BR was converted into this mess of, you know, uh, rail track plus the IMUs plus the TRUs plus the TOUs plus the freight companies, plus the Roscoe's, plus the Franchising Authority, Economic Regulator and Safety Regulator. Um, oh, golly. Um, and we also kind of, go in that episode, worked out how we got from rail track to network rail, from all of these bits into having, good grief, so many suppliers for network rail, and not just network rail, actually, these suppliers are also for suppliers of this lot as well. How we ended up with, you know, all of these operators oh my goodness me look at them all um actually fewer than original because we had it was chaos it was like a messy chaos to start with it has actually tidied up um how we ended up with kind of not a huge amount of change in freight other than you know uh db gobbling up most stuff to start with it's under under ews we ended up with a few more train operating companies uh, than we have now but angel and evershall and porterbrook are still here and then we ended up with uh DFT gobbling stuff up for its own. The RR, RSSB came coming to existence. Ukraine popping up. It's something I'm managing research. Of course, RDG, pointless RDG in there, um, taking over the role of ATOC. And the Rail Ombudsman as well. Um, what we want to talk about is how we go from this to this. How you convert this mess, all of this, into something a bit more sensible. You know the structure of the future rail industry that uh, you and I want to have. Um, so here it is. <laughs> this is the sort of an idea of what the structure will be. So if we go through here, firstly, um, a direct transfer of NR into BR. We're going to go through this kind of step by step and what actually needs to happen, but kind of roughly with 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 pen and scribble, uh, we need to reduce the number of suppliers, and uh, in most cases that will mean insourcing lots of stuff into British Rail. So actually, uh, not Great British Railways, by the way, it's a completely stupid name. Uh, yeah, I don't know who DB are selling. Um, yeah, DB, it's interesting, isn't it? So DB are selling, uh, DB Schenker not doing well, so they're looking to sell, sorry, DB Cargo. DB Cargo are looking to divest, but also they're looking to get rid of uh, Grand Central, Cross Country, Chiltern, who else is... Uh, Ariva. Uh, 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 that's it, isn't it? It's just it's just cross country children and Grand Central now. Anyway, they want rid of it, which is interesting. Anyway, um, so we have what 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 have we got going on here? So we've got all the suppliers. We've got the, these are already nationalised. So Scotrail, Cloudland Sleeper, and TFW, um, you know TFW Rail, all fully nationalised. LNR Northern, Southeastern, Transpennine. Mo for the mostly nationalised. They they are state companies for sure. You have the fully private operators here. You have um, the, the train operating companies. You have Avanti, Cross Country, EMR, GWR is the long distance ones. So the long distance ones here. You've got Chiltern, Greater Anglia, Southwestern, uh, and West Midlands Trains with its two individual sub companies as the kind of the regional ones. And then you've got the urban ones here, the sort of urban ones of C to C, GTR, and Mersey Rail. Mersey Rail being a concession, actually. Um, so again, slightly, slightly different to the to the other ones that are franchised, but Mersey Rail being a concession. Those are the the private operators. Then you have the open access operators. So these are the ones that are that in the true sense private, private. But actually, 
those companies only exist because of the rest of the industry, which is why I think that uh, open access operators, it's a disingenuous idea that they are truly autonomous. Actually, they are just essentially extractive. So I'm not really a fan of them. However, they can stay uh, willing to keep the open access operators running, just elbow them harder with much higher charges because they will be charged unlike everything else, which will not be charged because we need to vertically integrate the rail system. We need to think of the railway as a system. We need to gain the benefits of if we electrify the railway, trains can be lighter. If we use friction modifiers on our trains, uh, all other trains will benefit from the bit of friction modifier that's still there, all this stuff. Um, Laurel are still run by Arriva. Yes, they are, Stephen Selby. I did, I took, I took, um, they're not Laurel anymore, are they? They're um, London Overground Rail or something else. The, the Arriva Rail London, actually, isn't it? It's ARL, Arriva Rail London. Yes. Um, I took them out of here. They are technically a train operating company. I just took them out for simplicity because it's kind of a London thing. But you're right. They, they also are really part of the wider rail industry. Um, the freight operators, you know what? Uh, let's get rid of my scribbles, actually, by the way, for now. Freight operators, fine. Uh, leave them as they are. Keep them running as, as private entities, frankly. I'm fine with that. However, DRS, which is a state organization, currently nationalized, should become part of BR, and it should be expanded massively so that the others get squeezed hard. Uh, they can keep doing what they're doing, fine, but rail, but, but basically there should absolutely be... Um, we're not in the EU, so we don't have to care about competition rules. Uh, we, uh, you know, DRS should start doing other things massively, particularly parcels into city centres. They should take up the work that's being done by Veramis and others, uh, absorb that work, because frankly, it's not going to work without it being run by the state operator. The, the business case is never going to work. Amazon is never going to run with it and so on and so forth. Uh, you need to be, it needs to be done as part of a state. It needs to basically be a drumbeat operation that just runs and will always run independent of what the customer, who the customers are. Uh, you know, it's a big glaring gap because, uh, all of the these folks need to just be gobbled up. Uh, okay, you might have some like individually small. You, you you might still see Europhoenix maybe existing a bit with a few things. They might they might retain a few old locos, but by and large the new stock should be completely bought up. There should be no Roscos essentially. Maybe a couple of small ones like like to deal with the fact that you have heritage operations and stuff like that. Fine, but they should cease to exist as a as a as a going concern. Um, where do I stand on um, uh, where do I stand on uh, management contracts? Pointless. There's no point to them. You just it's a, it's a load of pointless commercial barriers that don't need to exist. Just bring them into a single organisation, um, and all of this ORR doesn't need to exist. RSSB shouldn't ex shouldn't exist. Should be brought into BR. Ukraine should be brought back in so that you can have the it would fix all the problems the universities complain about of not being able to get their stuff to market. You fix that by just integrating Ukraine to BR. It becomes part of BR. RDG disappears, and indeed the rail ombudsman. You don't need that rail ombudsman. You can rely on passenger focus uh, on transport focus rather for that. So you kind of still have the DFT because the DFT have to have some role in, in sort of providing input and steer to, to British Rail. But by and large, you kind of also want their input to be pretty minimised. Uh, Paul Davis is saying it's gone very dark. It's all gone very dark. Huh. For who? Um, so we've talked a bit about structure and branding in episodes 20 and 114 of Railnatter. Good God, we've done so many of these, haven't we? But we're going to talk a bit about... So we, we, by the end of these episodes, we kind of got an idea of what the rough idea of the structure would be. And I know my face is blocking up TFE and, and, and SPT up here. Sorry, Glasgow and Edinburgh, but I'm, fine. I'm Scottish, so that, no one should mind. And we talked about the fact that there's kind of a three-tier sort of shape to the industry. 
that you have the, the kind of the national stuff uh, combined city you have regional stuff um, uh, and kind of to some level you have devolved authorities feeding into the regional stuff um, on what they want so you know the TFN you know, the transport for the north the Midlands connects the, those those subnational transport bodies um, alongside Scotland and Wales up here and then you have the city regions the urban systems um, but how do we kind of get to the you know then and each of the urban systems can be run either you know you could you know, well you know we'll talk about it how, how, do you, how do you get to this structure how do you get to all this stuff i'm talking about uh daniel smith saying what about leasing trains directly from the manufacturer instead of via roscoe um i mean yeah I, there might be a decision to do that you know that's been done by nexus with stadler fleet but that should be up to the devolved authorities particularly in the case of the urban systems here they should be able to buy their trains outright and maintain them how they like. They should be able to lease them from from a manufacturer. Um, at least when you're doing it from a manufacturer, you're getting rid of the Roscoe middleman. You don't need the Roscoes there. You can just do it directly from the manufacturer and that gets rid of a load of overheads. Uh, as we'll talk about later, the Roscoes pocket a billion quid in profit a year. Like a billion quid in dividends a year. What? That's a billion quid. Our industry gets paid like... 12 billion to run like you know actually it's less than that against like nine it's seven to nine billion now a billion of that just to roscoe dividends get rid of them buy them out just buy them out ideally you'd nationalize them without compensation but i don't think that'll ever happen so pay them their market rate for the the new stock don't leave them with their old stock but just don't lease it from them anymore so they just have to, so they have to then scrap it let them collapse in on themselves I don't care. All the good staff that are, at, you know, for example, Porterbrook and, and, and Eversholt have some really good engineering staff. BR needs them. Just get those staff over, you know, get those teams, those engineering teams over because those teams will be needed to look after the trains. Um, so you buy in all the skills of those organizations that you do need. I'm not saying all the people get sacked. No, no, they all get tupied over into British Rail. Anyway, what needs to happen? What needs to happen to get us here? Let's have a think. So, let's start and um, we've got some timelines in here so by 2025 the first thing that needs to be done labor is to reorganize network rail into british rail do not create a new organization do not create a new organization network rail exists has all the structures all the systems why would you waste money on creating new systems and structures yes network rail is an infrastructure organization Yes, it is set up to do a job that it will that, that and that job will change dramatically. But it is easily capable of that of being expanded to cope with becoming British Rail. Do not create a new organisation. Just incredibly wasteful to do that. Just so wasteful, you know, contemptful of public time, let alone money. So that's the first thing to do. Network Rail convert into British Rail. Lovely. Uh, you know what? I need to turn my pen into a different colour, don't I? Let's go for something absolutely bafflingly bright brightly colored let's go for bright yellow there we go so uh next up by 2025 again as part of the next control period planning uh which is control the next control period incoming by the way time is short in source wherever feasible reduce the use of small and medium enterprises and eliminate the use of contingent staff and when i'm talking about contingent staff uh there's all sorts i mean there facilities management all that needs to be in-housed uh uh, staffing agencies for st track staff for critical safety critical staff gone bring them in house 
or at least stop contractors from using them and bring it into the contractors, you know. Um, and also body shopping. I was body shopping into Network Rail uh, a while back uh, with Arcadis. They were paying me twice, you know, Network Rail would have been paying at least twice as much as Arcade, you know, as, as if they just had, a, a, if they just employed me directly, you know. But that's because Network Rail aren't allowed to employ enough any people, but they are allowed to spend enormous amounts of money on bringing people in to do the things that they should just be doing as Network Rail. Hugely, hugely wasteful, um, absolutely, utterly wasteful uh, use of staff. Um, so, this is the fun bit, right? Network Rail, currently... Oh, yeah, the trouble with the yellow is that it's not going to work on white, is it? Uh, maybe I just go with black. Should we go with black? Should we go with the black, black, black. There we go. Yeah, that, that works, doesn't it? Network Rail currently has uh, 4,183 suppliers. Um, no, no, seriously. Uh, there are so many... Here they are. Look, 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 look. There's the A's, the B's, the C's. It's over 4,000. Here they go. Look at them all. Now, not all of these are going to go away because some of them are, for example, Ordnance Survey or the National Grid for their electricity or whatever it is. Universities, loads of things. These are not, you're not going to reduce this to zero. But you do not need to have 4,000 suppliers. There's so many, you know, and there are lots, lots of the SMEs are things that create little widgets and things. Fine. But there are so many things that you can, in, that you can insource like this, this is just, this is, just, oh my goodness me, 4,000 plus contracts, all the lawyers, all the time it takes for those to be processed, bring it in-house. So much that can be brought in-house. Uh, mighty is a good start. Um, so, what are we doing by 2025? Uh, DRS, incorporate DRS into BR, expand services including express parcel services currently under trial so take umbrella those uh, trials because they're not going to they're not going to survive without it frankly um and integrate with urban delivery plans which should also be happening these things all of what i'm talking about cannot just happen within the railway world okay by 2025 it probably mostly will but these things start having the, the, certainly once once you look in 2025 beyond the, you need to stop looking at the railways just the railway and start looking at transport and logistics as a whole and indeed, indeed place making house building so on um so there's drs and you're going to convert it into uh into into british rail rail freight you know there are br rail freight marvelous and it can do all sorts of magical things um it can do all the magical things it's doing now and more what else by 2025 well of course the actual legislation for british rail to take its full legal position and power needs to start getting moved rapidly this is really necessary you have to get moving um uh this is this is really really key um, that has to get moving for BR to be able to do its big stuff. It needs to actually exist as it needs to be allowed to exist as a legal entity. Um, there is the British Rail, with um, by the way, Rail symbol two, and of course, this is Rail Alphabet two, uh, except it's Rail Alphabet two Prime because um, it's uh, Rail Alphabet two is a is 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 not bold, and it's also the kerning is too broad wide so um, i condense it by a point uh, and put it in bold and then it basically resembles ra1 that's essentially the situation um knucker is saying sorry i have been missing all your chat i will do a bit of a face chat and we'll go through certainly at the end we'll go through questions also yeah shout do at me and i can spot your comments as we go through here a street cycle hires are very important uh in the public transport ecosystem do you think that is something that should continue to be operated privately it's an interesting question i i know 
I, I think it'd be good for there to be for those to just be brought in. You know, I think that the Boris bikes, for example, which obviously aren't Boris bikes, they're Livingston bikes. But anyway, uh, those really should be just directly run by TFL. There's no need to have a third party running them. TFL are absolutely capable at technology. They create a contact list that is now used across the world. Um, and the same, it's the same for all these things. Like really, they don't need to have a third, a private third party involved. I don't see where the value is in that uh, at all. Um, it's not viable for this government to go on about about waste when they spend all the extra money on extra interfaces. To you know, as I, as I talked about last week, our economy is based on on extracting value from the interfaces between fragmented organisations, which is obviously bonkers if you want to actually get anything done because all that time and money is wasted on those interfaces rather than just getting the thing done. So by 2025, this is, this is the fun one. Buy out all Roscoe's. The financial hit will be rapidly worth it. Um, so let's just see. So Angel, probably about 5 billion. Beacon, probably about half a billion. Europhoenix, probably a lot less than half a billion, but I, I chucked half a billion out of them anyway. Three and a half billion for Evershall, three billion for Porterbrook, and uh, about a billion for Rockrail, so that gives you about thirteen point five billion, um, or about ten years of Roscoe dividends. Actually, probably less if you count for inflation now. So that's worth it. That's a ten-year payback on that investment. Thirteen point five billion. That's not a lot of money. We spent a lot more than, th than that during COVID. Just blast the thirteen point five billion. Get those trains back. To be honest, you don't need to spend a thirteen point five. You can probably spend less than that. You probably end up spending about eight billion. Uh, because you can just get rid of all the old trains that aren't worth anything. Uh, just not, just don't buy those. Just say, you know what, Angel, you can have those, and no one's going to lease them, and then you can collapse in on a, on yourself on your own. But by the way, we're going to have all of your engineering staff and all of your uh, skilled practitioners who understand uh, uh, bringing in new rolling stock as well as looking after existing rolling stock. Yes, so um, that's an, just an, an absolute immediate win. Need to do that. Uh, what else by 2025? Well, this, is, this starts getting key and this is the sort of thing government can do very easily well no it can't but it should be able to do very easily by 2025 set ambitious modal shift targets for 2050 agree the minimum funding envelope until 2050 then get out of the way that's what needs to happen um so what do i mean by that well don't worry this isn't going to go too much longer folks i promise but it's, it's important stuff here um there, there are two documents here that i want to pick up on on things that 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 were good documents that one of which did reach its potential, except that it didn't because it was ignored, and the other didn't reach its full potential at all. The first is we, we both of these we've gone through in previous episodes. Um, the first is the is the Weika Mass Transit Vision twenty forty died a death, didn't it? Uh, very good document. Uh, and then the second is is the UCR the the Union Connectivity Review. Um, here's the 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 West Yorkshire Mass Transit document. Key thing that it points out is that um, seven percent of journey to work by public trans transport currently. Um, so what you do is, and, and they admittedly didn't in this document, is you say, well, we want that to be 45%. For example, I don't see why it couldn't be 50%, but they, you know, they might they might decide, and we reckon that we could get that up to 45%. That number, these two numbers here, these these two numbers that I've had, so this is this is this is 7% and, and then the, 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 and then 45%. These numbers are what allows you to go, well, the system needs to look like this. This is what the infrastructure needs to look like to achieve that. These are where we need to open new stations. Um, this is this is what you need to do, right? 
However, you jump to the UCR. The UCR picked up. So this is this is on a corridor, by the way. This is the South Leeds to Dewsbury corridor. This is this document. You remember when I went through this? Hopefully, all of you've been through this with me. It's a fantastic document. Um, ironically, uh, oh look, NPR and HS2 in Leeds. Anyway, um, no, the UCR did. It talked a bit about mode share. Um, it talked about the fact that that corridor has seen 100% growth since 2008-2009 and no new infrastructure. Obviously, they've shown HS2 on there, lol. Um, but uh, no mention of potential future mode share. None. Big, big gap. This is where the US UCR failed. It should have set the vision for what that mode share should be, but of course it can't do that, and absolutely would not do this under the current car maniac government. Um, but the TUC have done it for us. So thanks to you, see, we went through this document as well in the previous rail matches. So we know what the additional uh, pasture kilometers required to be to, to get us to climate emergency compliance. And we know we've got a pretty decent idea of what those additional capital costs will be. So we know what the, the, the targets need to be. We know what the extra funding needs to look like. Um, you know, that, 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 that work has been done. You could do more of it. 2025 is not an unreasonable target to achieve that. So, but then, so, you know, we talk about the percentages the mission target is the high numbers, the, the mode shares. How you achieve those is more detailed and requires more time. And that's where you could be, you know, so by 2027, all devolved authorities should have published infrastructure plans. The national strategy should incorporate these plans, but have things like, you know, the big projects like uh, high-speed rail and, and, and what have you included, freight gauge clearance and so on. And then capital delivery and funding timescales should be agreed by this point. So by 2027, Ultimately, you need a plan, and the plan, when I talk about a plan, what I mean is a big map that says this is what the system should look like by 2050. That's what a plan is. It's a map with the stuff on it and what, what should look like what when. Treasury at the moment will get in the way of this. This is where you have some fun, because Treasury, they've, they've got rid of the junk, by the way, which is a bit of a shame. There's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no bits and pieces, which is very sad. Hello to Gareth's mum, by the way, if you're watching. Uh, not my mum, although possibly my... I know my mother-in-law watches. Hello, my mother-in-law. I, uh, I shouldn't think about it too much, because then I, I won't do my... Um, risque gags anyway um yeah they've, they've tidied up the animals here the, the animals are less anatomically accurate um they've turned it to clip art basically clip art treasury anyhow um treasury causes problems of course um so uh, no anglers oh yeah that's right sorry anglers i do i don't know why i also know isle of wight but anglers definitely really is the mainland isn't it still sort of or is it uh, I don't know. it's the contiguous big britain isle anyway i digress treasury is a problem you're not going to manage any of this if treasury still exists they need to be gone uh and how we do that well that's for some else to decide but uh treasury needs to have gone by this point because none of this can happen with them still in place so let's jump to forces 2030 end non-open access operator train operating company contracts as soon as possible incorporate all of them into br retain existing city region operators and um, if desired by regional authorities um Okay, what do I mean by this? So here are all the expiry dates of the train operating companies. The last one is East Midlands Rail in 2030. The first is C2C, which is nice. That's C2C one. Give, just give it to TFL, to be honest. I mean, TFL won't want it because their funding envelope is uh, rubbish, but obviously, ideally, a government would expand that funding envelope uh, to be functional. And you can see there's this big spread, and October 2030 is a long way away. Ideally, you pull these forward. So if there's any way to bring these timescales shorter rather than just letting the lapse then that would be nice but that's what the timescales currently are for those contracts so I'll give you an idea of what that looks like by 2030 
um, devolution needs to be fixed. We've got a bit of time to actually do this. Devolution is key. The, the actual structure of government in the UK, which Labour has talked a lot about, and changing it and, and altering where power sits, needs to be fixed by 2030. And the industry structure has to be fixed to it. The industry structure cannot be independent of the structure of, of government in the country. So the rail industry needs to be aligned to that devolution. And so too does ticketing, because you can't think of ticketing in isolation. And frankly, central government should have not much to do with most of the tickets that people use. Let's talk a bit about what I mean by that. Well, here's the latest devolution status map of England. Uh, as you can see, it's chaos and anarchy. Um, within that, you can see the kind of the, the, the command authorities as they currently are. Well, actually, these two are getting getting merged into one, which is just northeast. Um, uh, I don't know whether that's a political decision because of who who runs it, but anyway, um, northeast. You know, obviously, uh, there's also Cambridgeshire and Peterborough, which isn't a city region. It's just a combined authority because it got to act together. Also, because it had a Tory mayor at the time, if you remember, and then also there's the the fun unitary authority that's down here, Cornwall. Anyway, let's just park those for a minute and just think about our cities because these are our cities over that have a population over what did I say over half a million? Was it over a million in total? Certainly the big number. I think it's over half a million. Anyway, the big numbers. So uh, north of Tyne is is getting got rid of. I don't care for this this one, whatever. Uh, if they want to have their own branded railway system, then I'm, who am I to argue? Fine. But I really care about the urban areas. I care about the urban areas because it's the most efficient way for people to live. It's the most efficient way to get public transport working. And it's where we need to invest the big money um, beyond the national connectivity, particularly if we end up without any national connectivity projects, then the money should be invested in massive urban public transport upgrades. Um, so, you know, you've got Tarnamore Metro up in the northeast. Well, they should also be running heavy rail services, whatever those are, you know, running currently you know northern rail services uh, northern should be transferred over to to the town where metro and run as part of that system um admittedly it would be slightly different but to be honest they could run the 555s quite happily on on the, on the existing system and perhaps that's what exactly what they should do west yorkshire metro with this rubbish branding uh should get its you know, it already has several you know basically in segregated um, uh, lines other than through leads hence hs2 being useful um the b network uh, should get rail in Greater Manchester. Obviously, Mersey Rail is already running in Liverpool City Region. Is a concession. There's every intention. Liverpool City Region have every intention of taking that concession in house when it expires. I think in uh, 2028. Is it? I can't remember when it is. It's, it's not far. Off. I think it's 2028. They're going to take it anyway. But they should get more. They should have more. Their system should expand. They should be running up to up to Preston. You know, potentially up to you know, certainly expanding quite dramatically to to, to gobble up more. Um, so, uh, we also have, um, uh, and then South Yorkshire, of course, as well, with their hilariously vibesy logo. Uh, West Midlands Railway is already in place in, in the West Midlands, and, and rightly so, so leave them to it. Uh, potentially expand their system, uh, expand the tracks that they're in charge of. Oh, I'll, I'll talk a bit about tracks, trains, ownership momentarily. Uh, East Midlands should have a system. Uh, Bristol doesn't currently, and, and should. Uh, the Solent should as well, uh, whether it's you know transport for the Hampshire or transport for Solent. They were talking about becoming a combined authority, and then government said no because they changed their mind. Um, and then obviously London already is fine. So it's basically trying to get everything else like London in terms of the level of, 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 of centralised autonomy. Um, so I put this map of Germany up quite a lot um, here. You can see all the, the green and the, the yellow here. The green is sort of 
the you know metro or or s-bahn as they call it and then tram train is the is the, is the kind of the lime green or yellow um well i created a, a version of it ish um not perfect a few little flibbles here and there if that don't worry about those um a version of it of, of what it could look like given you know we have a very dense railway network uh what it could look like for the uk and actually you can see quite interestingly that you do end up with with basically integrated systems of for, for, for the scottish central belt the northeast should be a single integrated system you end up with a, an almost contiguous mass of um of the midlands and and the north which fine i mean you do basically you'd end up with interfaces you, you kind of end up with ticketing interfaces which is not an unheard of thing i think it would be quite more difficult to unpick those interfaces between liverpool and greater manchester but you know it's it's doable um to have those and likewise south yorkshire west yorkshire becomes a little more complicated but they exist now under the pt arrangement so you could you could you could certainly manage it um but yeah you end up with this nice nice big bits likewise south wales bristol a uh, nice lump and then uh, solent down here uh, and then london well, you know, there's, there's, I think an expansion of the suburban network that TFL run, um, uh, is, is, uh, is a good idea. Again, Sadiq Khan probably not wanting it at the moment because it, it would be a big financial burden really uh, at the moment. But, um, uh, oh, Anna, time local here. Uh, Metro are currently doing a, uh, a, a data gathering exercise about perceptions around the time with Metro. Happy to direct people in the, in the, um comments towards that open survey oh yes please anna um uh, i'll give you a spanner you can drop a link in the chat a minute. watch this i have the power uh, uh there we go there you go anna you're now a spanner i hope you don't mind i hope you don't take offense at becoming a spanner but you can drop a link in the chat for people uh, to do that anyway this is this is this is opportunity here i see this is opportunity uh, i just type the letter e into the chat that's, that's not helpful for anyone right I, I'm going to pause after this city regions thing to just sort of say hello to everyone. We're going to finish up by half past. Give city regions the power. These city regions, whether they continue to be combined authorities or whether their powers slightly change, whatever happens is um, give city regions the power to either, so this is not, you know, either own and operate the complete rail system. They should, be, you know, this, this shouldn't come from central government, as in what they do should not come from central government different combined authorities different city regions might have different preferences different feelings different financial resources different political desires they should be able to do any of the above the likelihood is that the most cost effective is the top one which is to just own and operate a complete rail system that might not work if you don't have segregated infrastructure entirely but you do want to kind of still have your own system so then you might want to for example run services using your own trains on british rail infrastructure you might want to run services using British Rail trains and infrastructure. Or you might just want to brand British Rail services uh, using BR trains and infrastructure. You should be able to do any of these. That should be fine. So, for example, you know, this is just an example. It's not what actually might happen. You know, West Midlands Railway might, you know, for a lot while, until they've got a crossrail built, they're going to be using tracks that long distance services are going to be using. So, you're probably going to have the tracks and infrastructure as being BR tracks you know be our infrastructure but the trains might well be Westminster's railway trains you know the local authority might buy the trains because it might be the right thing to do um so that's uh, the city region this is key why am i putting a lot of emphasis on the city regions rather than in city it's because in city is kind of fine i mean it isn't it's just too going is crippling in city but in terms of the biggest impact to people this is the biggest impact and this is the biggest change and this is the stuff that that needs to be focused on is actually giving the uk decentralized power to the cities for the cities to have their own 
high-density mass transit systems. Um, ticketing comes from that. So what about ticketing? Um, ticketing here. So if the intercity stuff, you know what? Demand-responsive ticketing might be irritating, but it is reasonably sensible in terms of managing that demand. But It does work. BR did it. That's fine. But it should be capped against the alternatives. It should be capped against the alternatives. So the government should basically make sure that there is it's it's a the choice to travel by train is an easier one than it is today. So we should not see three hundred pound fares on our railway. That just should not exist. Hi David, I'm glad you're in the chat. Um So uh there's a David asked an interesting question, which I'm going to, going to in fact, I'll finish the first and then, and then we'll, 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 we'll pick up that question because it's a good question. I, I do want to address it. Um, in terms of the regional fares, so, so um, you know, that includes ScotRail and, and, and uh, Travnidiaith uh, Cymru, but, uh, at, you know, and, and BR Regional, which would cover the kind of the, our, okay, in ideal world, it would be our federalised England, but that might not be the case for, for, a, for a longer while. The fares should be set by the devolved authorities. That might include transport for the north. It might include some of the other subnational transport bodies. Certainly, ScotRail and, and TFW should be covering their well. That's um, Trains Wales. The TFW should be covering their. Um, but they should have decisions over what the fares are. They should be set by the devolved authorities. But they ideally will not include peak and off-peak. They would be fixed rate by distance. So you, so you, the intercity stuff demand responsive, but the regional stuff uh, fixed rate by distance. So you, you kind of you can go zonal, whatever it happens to be, but it's fixed rate by distance rather than um, hugely complicated systems. So this is the way that you you decomplicate fares. Um, and then in, when you get down to the city regions, fares should be set by the devolved authorities flatly. That's it. You just let the cities decide what fares are going to be. And they can decide what fare is going to be. That's that. They can decide to do that because they'll have the fundraising powers to decide whether everyone is going to pay a small transport levy like happens in lots of places. Everyone just pays a small transport levy and that pays for the transport system and the fares or whether, you know, they're, they're, they're an alternative means. But you know what? The cities should decide that. That shouldn't be for central government to decide. Let the cities do it. Work out what's best. They can borrow from each other in terms of ideas. Um, that's, how we should, that's how we should run it. So... Um, I'm going to now go big face and I'm going to say, uh, what do we want to do, everyone? What is the thing that we want? Uh, so um, the question was from Dave Frankel, uh, what's the advantage of city regions owning their own heavy rail infrastructure? Is it not better for economies of scale to have one network slash British rail? Um, it might be. There might be a feeling of the devolved authorities that they that they want to, that, that, that it makes sense for them to just let British rail do the do the um kind of uh, run everything but sorry you might see i'm doing some slide editing in the background standard me but they should have that choice and the reality is that in quite a lot of situations mersey rail for example want to have their own infrastructure because they just want to have the responsibility for it themselves they want to be able to um essentially have that system segregated so they can just run passenger services they don't worry about freight getting in the way or whatever it happens to be um, and it's you know standard in lots of other parts of the world where the you know the, the city owns the, its own city infrastructure. I, I think that I, I think that's quite a reasonable way to to go about it. Um, are there economies of scale? Well, the economies of scale come from having you know you know it might be that you do let BR continue to have the infrastructure, but I, I think the key thing is the city should be able to decide what they want to do. They should be able to decide. Actually, we think our plan. You know, internally, we think actually there is more value 
in us having the infrastructure than VR having the infrastructure or actually there's more value in us just kind of staffing the trains but leasing them from VR um and uh and 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 running on the infrastructure you know, i think it should be up to the default authorities to decide that particularly the city, in terms of city regions um yeah, it is out of sync i don't know why it does that it's obs obs being silly i can hear myself um slower there sorry gareth um what else uh, other questions uh let's see uh campaign for north israel whatever happens i just want them to get on with it and stop the endless consultation and waffle absolutely yeah, yeah yeah for sure um uh let's see um other stuff uh how about the southwest there there are devon metro plans and extra has one of the largest travel to work areas yes um actually i was drawing so, so i've put the big city areas on the on the map in fact let's go back to small face again i've put the big city areas on the map but actually i'm, I'm quite other devolved areas might wish to do the same thing and they should be able to they should be allowed to if they if they get this combined authority power they should be able to do the same thing and, and i think yeah it's a good example exeter um actually has a huge travel to work area and would benefit from being able to just basically run its own services on the flip side and again they should have the same options so these same options of the ability to decide whether they want to run these you know kind of just brand their stuff and have some control over the way the service looks or own and, and operate their own their own system it's a good example where they're probably going to be down the bottom end of this in terms of the resource rather than the you know manchester might well be close to the top so no that didn't work very well did it uh let me go in here why why is why is why is that's uh how strange oh you know what i'm gonna go big face and fix this because i have the power watch this watch this. i'm gonna go big face um uh there we go and i'm going this is this is the power the magical here we go fine i fixed it <laughs> oh dear right that's too small face there we are my small face what needs to happen then let's summarize number one set the structure number two so that's you know this this this, this the five steps to, to getting where we need to be number one set the structure number two set the mission number three set the timeline number four set the funding number five step out of the way that's my instruction to government in what you need to do set the structure set the mission set the timeline set the funding and step out of the way let the railway so in terms of devolution saying the railway itself is, is has has plenty of devolved powers to make decisions long term of its own accord to just match those you know so government so in terms of democratic oversight government has set the structure they've set the mission they can set the timeline and they they can set the funding long term but set it not change it set it at that point they step out of the way and i'm not saying they they don't pay attention absolutely they need to monitor evaluate reevaluate re-monitor but they should keep out of the way that's the plan and that's how you get br back <laughs> that's how you do it um and that's my view of what that of, of what it should look like and where the power should sit um and for example you know we talked about branding i'm not talking about branding because it's been another episode but you know those city regions branding i think is important we talk about local buy-in oh so <laughs> let's get rid of my face uh this episode has gone longer than i intended to um better hopefully a good one let me know what you think uh, if you think this was okay if you agree you know what let's while i'm doing the end credit stuff let's do another little poll i always enjoy a little poll um there's uh um do you think this um uh, proposal uh, do you do think this would work there we are start poll there we go poll started we're going so oh uh 
Yeah, Richard Moody is absolutely right. We should be living in the most exciting time for public transport since the invention of the railways. Absolutely, and yet we are not. Um, structure before mission. Yeah, no, structure before mission. No, because the structure is kind of independent of what the mission is. The, the, stru the structure is to do with the shape of the country. The the mission is kind of... I, I don't think... I think the mission comes afterwards. Um, you didn't expect the crayons would be going out, Gareth. I know, we've done a lot in this episode, haven't we? Um... Anyway, sorry, everyone. Audio only. Thanks so much for listening. Um, please do leave reviews and stuff and, and do bump our listenership. In fact, something something quite exciting happened um, relating to, to our audio only listeners recently, which is, which is fun, which I want to talk about, which was um, and certainly on Spotify. I don't see it for any of the others, but certainly on Spotify. Um, oh, dear. Um, on Spotify, we got like a, like a little... Uh, just tidying up my slide... Spotify, we got a little, a little boost because we reached number 14 in the UK technology podcast chart. Look, there we are, number 14. Um, just uh, just behind, or a little bit behind, Brendan O'Neill and his maniacs. Uh, the metal is playing. And, and, you know, only a little bit behind uh, WTYP, which is quite remarkable. Hello, WTYP lovelies. Um, we, we, that day, dropped down one again, uh, which was sad. But we were still ahead of, I mean, Paris, Mark's, they're behind us, which is remarkable because Tech One Service is brilliant. We're also ahead of Thirty Minutes to the Moon, which is also brilliant. Um, so anyway, uh, sadly we've dropped entirely off those um, charts now. But however we managed to get up there, let's make that happen again. That was fun. Um, so Spotify, yeah, do that. Thanks. Um, we, we let's let's see if we can uh, catch up with Brendan O'Neill. Let's get him. Let's get him. Anyway, um, uh, the the usual plugs: patreoncom slash Dennis. Um, uh, the logo has changed. Thanks, Patreon. Stop changing the logo. You've been changing it like every five minutes for the last ten years. Uh, Teespring or Spring uh, merch. Gaffdenton.uk slash merch. I need to update all of the merchandise with the new Rail Natter thing, but it's it's not that different. That it made you've all now got exclusive special editions. Um, the build HS2 now hoodie still absolutely applies, of course. PayPal.me slash Gareth Dennis for loose abuse, loose, loose abuse and change. That works. Uh, Gaffdenton.uk slash Discord for the chat. Continue ad infinitum. A little update. So um, uh, a while back, not that long, like a month ago or something, wasn't it? I said we had uh, 8,685 subscribers on the YouTube and I'd quite like to hit 10,000 by the end of the year. And we had 1,300 left. Well, we now, only have, we now only have 600, 767 left. So um, we went out 9,233 subscribers. That's, that's pretty good. Let's see if we can hit 10,000 by the end of the year. Go on. If you've watched this and are not a subscriber, hit subscribe. If you listen to this audio-only format and you do have a YouTube thing just go and subscribe even if you don't actually watch the youtube um and for everyone else um uh it, thanks for all those who do subscribe thanks it makes it's, it's a good thing probably uh rail matter I, I, I care a lot about it particularly when i get emails from people saying you've maybe want a career in the rail industry and I've, I've i've got starting a degree in this or i've changed job into the rail industry uh, genuinely brings a tear to my eyes wonderful so it's lovely that you, that's what it's all about. It's stuff like that that makes me very proud of this show. And, and all the patron supporters who support me, by the way, you, you enable that to happen. You should all also have tears in your eyes. Um, that can be facilitated, I'm sure, among yourselves, arranged the, the tier situation. Um, but uh, yeah, more subscribers means that this this funny little show that I care a lot about might start getting noticed by more people. I got excited by the Spotify thing. So it's like, you know could become quite a big thing anyway there are exciting guest plans coming up so the, 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 the this stuff always happening despite the fact that i have so little time 
to myself um, uh, to do this sort of stuff. And rightly so, because I'm uh, you know, a full-time job eventually, but at the moment, full-time dad. Uh, you're never not a full-time dad, but anyway, you know what I mean. Anyway, this is exciting. I'm going to stop waffling. Um, next episode is going to be episode 191. Chris Valkoinen is giving us a little tour through some fun documentation related to the fact that it's going to be pretty much exactly 40 years. Actually, it's, it's 40 years and a month since the UK built its first high-speed line, which, of course, is the Selby diversion, as you can see by the picture in the background. Anyway, um, wait, what? Michael C., you got a play button sent to you. Oh, my goodness. I would love to get... I, I want the play button so much, but I'm never going to get a play button. I don't do this full-time. I don't think I could if I didn't do it full-time. Anyway, um, we're, we're losing viewers rapidly because it's the end of the episode, and they're all like, right, we're going to go to bed because it's also half nine in the night. Oh, my goodness. It is later when we start at eight, isn't it? Anyway, right, everyone. And a good big face. I haven't seen any new questions come up. Thanks everyone for watching. It's been lovely. I'm waving. Miles is waving behind us. Hello, Miles. Um, we're going to see you next week. It's a pre-record, by the way, but um, I, I promise it'll be worth it. I'm going to wave. Cheerio, everyone. Dave, I'll see you for a call in a minute. Uh, <laughs> thanks, David. Bye. Bye-bye. Cheerio, everyone. Cheerio.